Amen. Well, please be seated. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Um, if you're a guest here today, just want to welcome you. Glad to have you here. Um, I want to just mention something just uh, as I've uh, gotten more and more acclimated. Uh, I like to just put charges before you a little bit every Sunday. And uh, I, I, what I've noticed is uh, not only do I not know everybody, but sometimes you don't know everybody, right? It's a big enough church that I've seen multiple times where people say, oh, I don't really know who that is. What I would encourage you to do every Sunday is look around for people who you don't know and greet them, every single person. In fact, if you're a guest here today, what you could do is you could say, oh, so someone's supposed to greet me. Well, here's the thing. In a church this size, there's someone here who thinks that you're a member of this church, and so they may feel slighted and say, that person didn't even say hi to me. They may never come back to church because a guest didn't say hi to them. So I'm going to put that pressure on everybody. Be friendly. Be welcoming. Make people feel um, just excited to be here. Man, because what a worship service. Man, praise God. I feel like God was lifted high. I feel like God is, is there and pleased with the things we're saying to Him and, and the words of adoration. So I hope your hearts are really centered on God. And uh, this morning we're going to go through First John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And um, I'm going to just go ahead and read these verses, and then I'm going to talk about them a bit. So First John chapter 2 and verse 3, look at it with me if you will. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know that we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. So this is... Um, this is one of those passages in Scripture that um, it just kind of surprises me that it's in Scripture. And I mean that in a good way. Sometimes with religion, we sometimes think, and, and even Christianity, we sometimes think that, that there's truths out there that maybe we're never meant to know. That we're supposed to be stuck out there in the ether, in a, a mental quagmire. We're supposed to be just stuck. That we're always supposed to just pretend that we have it all together, and yet we never do. And, and we just look around and we see everybody else and they just seem to have it all together and not knowing that they're probably just pretending as well that they have it all together. They understand theology. They know perfectly well where they stand with God. And yet I see verses like this. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 again. This is how we know that we know Him. Now those last two songs, we sung about an awesome God. We sung about a God of, of creation and, and salvation and power and glory and all these things. And what is just amazing to me and touches my heart as I read this verse, this is how we know that we know him. It doesn't just say, this is how you know him, right? There's plenty of verses like that as well. This is how you know him, because then you may go to know him, and then you may say, well, I think I did it right. I, I think I did it. I, I hope, I hope that I did. I hope that I did all the things necessary to be there. Well, God knows how kind of, I'm going to just say this about it, sometimes we're kind of neurotic in our thinking, right? Sometimes we're, we get a little too over-introspectional. We're, we're just, we overanalyze our own ability to believe things like that. God says, okay, I'll put verses like this in the Bible. This is how you know that you know him. Not just how you know him, but that you know that you know him. Have you ever needed that? 
Have you ever needed that, the Word of God saying to you that this is how you know that you know Him? I began this sermon series, and we're going through the book of 1 John because, man, God's Word is powerful. It'll change your life. I pray you pour into this study. We're going through the book of 1 John, and I began this series by talking about this student that I had, that they gave their life to Christ, they, they made a sincere profession, bawling their eyes out, and then six months later, they did it again. And I just had this realization, they're going to do this in perpetuity. They're going to do this maybe for the rest of their life if they never come to rest in the salvation that is Christ. Now, maybe you've felt that way. Maybe you've given your life to Christ, and you just feel restlessness all the time. And maybe you've been brave enough to go forward and give your life to Christ again. You can't give your life to Christ again. You give it to Him once, and, and we'll explain that in a bit. But, but you give your life to Christ, and, and maybe you come up again because you weren't sure. And maybe you come up again because you weren't sure. Or maybe you're someone who you're like, I'm not sure, but I, I'm not brave enough to admit that I, I don't understand. I'm not brave enough to admit that I don't know. I'm not brave enough to admit that... Um, Something's wrong with me. Because I look around at church, and I see people, and, and everybody gets to see the Sunday best, and all the families have everything put together and tucked away, and, oh, their kids probably don't have any behavioral issues, and, and everything's perfect. And so you look at that, and you say, how could I ever admit that something is wrong? Well, that's why I'm glad that in 1 John chapter 1, we have two verses in verse 8 and verse 10, where he says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves right? He tells us that to even be a Christian, to even walk in the truth, you have to admit that something's wrong with you. So I want you to look around this room for a second and realize that every single person sitting here, there are things wrong with them too. Not just you as you try to analyze yourself. Just know that everybody seated next to you, there are things, some people are looking too hard and too long. Stop it. <laughs> there, are, there are things wrong with everybody sitting here including the one preaching this morning. It says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. Now, all along in this study so far, we went through chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4, where he's given us his testimony of Jesus Christ, that he's the word of life. In verses 5 through 7, he tells us about the nature of God, that God is light and in him is no darkness. Therefore, if we walk in darkness and we say we have fellowship we're with him, we're lying, and we're not practicing the truth. And then verses 8 through 10, we see that we're all sinners, but, but in verse 9, for the first time, we get something that it's just this promise. First time in this book that it's just this promise that we can kind of start to hang our hat on as, as these humans of insecurities and doubts that we are, and we are. There may be someone in here this morning who's too overconfident, but I've counseled with enough people in my ministry career to know that we're an insecure people. We worry where we stand before a holy God. And so we have 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so we see that promise that I, I can confess it to him and he'll forgive me. I don't feel worthy of his forgiveness. And then we wonder how. Well, then we get to 1 John chapter 2, and he says, I'm writing you these things that you may not sin. I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to live a, a lifestyle of sin. But I know you're going to mess up sometime, even if you name the name of Jesus Christ. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, Jesus. Verse 2, he himself is the atoning sacrifice, meaning he paid for it. He, he paid for the, the guilt that we have. So we have all these things, but they're kind of external things. For the first time in 1 John, in chapter 2 and verse 3, we start to see an inner thing. Because that's where our wrestling is. 
Right? Someone could promise you all these things. You ever seen a, a moment where this kid is, a kid is trying to trust their parents and the kid just has all of their doubts and fears and the kid's uh, parents saying, just trust me, believe me. I, I've, I've been around longer than you. I know you think you know more than me, but, but trust me, you can do this, whatever it is. I know you can do it. And, and they have these doubts. So someone could say, believe me. Someone could say all these things are true. But for the first time in First John... God's dealing with the inner us. And not just for salvation, but the inner us of doubt. The one that sits there late at night and wrestles with these things and worries when we're all alone and we're not surrounded by our Christian circles. Maybe we went to an event and, and it, it was just phenomenal. I was surrounded by, we were surrounded by brothers yesterday at uh, the men's breakfast. It was an awesome time. And, and I hope you'll come to things like that. But surrounded by that. And then maybe someone's filled up and built up and then they leave and doubt comes in again. And they start to wonder, how come I have to feel like a faker and everybody else seems so certain? Why do I have to have all this doubt and wrestle with all this doubt and everybody else just seems sure? And what I'm telling you is the God of the universe that we sing, sing about in those powerful songs, the God of the universe knows about you. He knows about your doubts and he says, this is how we know that we know him. Now, this word know, or some variation of it, is going to be in this book a lot. 42 plus times in this book, he's going to use some variation of this word know. Because he's dealing with people called Gnostics, which means knowledge. If you, the famous one today is not Gnostics as much, it's agnostic, agnostics, which comes from the same root word, ah, meaning without. Gnostic meaning knowledge. So someone without knowledge, they're not saying they're not smart. They're saying, I don't think you can know that there's a God. Well, Gnostics during this time, they believed in all sorts of unusual things, such as that the physical realm didn't affect the spiritual realm. That's why he can keep talking about sin and says, if you say that you can walk in darkness and know God, you're wrong. That's why he's saying those things, because they said, well, I can do whatever I want in the physical, and then I'll just live in the spiritual, and the spiritual be, will be fine. They believe things like that, and then they believe in salvation as something like it's a, a, a thing that you have to have a special knowledge a special knowledge that it's how we feel about Christians sitting in church that that person has it and I don't. I'll just never get it. I, I just, I can't be a super Christian like them. And he's saying, no, there's a really practical way that can work toward your assurance of salvation. The book of 1 John's filled with these, but here's one he gives us. This is how we know. Look at verse 3. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. Your first point in your notes is obedience provides assurance. Obedience provides assurance. We're going to unpack this greatly, but I want you to just start accepting that truth right now today. That maybe sometimes your doubt has been caused by a life that is walking in darkness. That there are things about your daily life that you've done that have caused the shadow of doubt to creep up in your heart. I wonder if you know this to be true, that there are times in your life that you're walking in holiness more, and those doubts seem to go away. He says this here. He says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his command. So he goes on. He says, the one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, when you see this, you may wonder which commands. I, I, uh, I wonder if you've ever observed this about kids as well. Yeah, you ever seen a, a kid interact with their parent and, and um, 
maybe one parent doesn't like what they're doing and the other parent doesn't care as much, right? I, uh, I just have to confess this. My, my wife is a lot sweeter than me. You may know that. Um, and so is my mom. And I live with both of them. And so if my kids turn out to be spoiled brats, it's because I'm outnumbered now. I'm just saying that. But maybe you've seen that where, um, I'll just use me as an example. I walk up to my kids, they're doing something I don't like. and say, hey, uh, I don't think you should be doing that. And they'll say, well, mom said I could. <laughs> right? So then a kid is left wondering, which commands do I obey? I wonder if you feel that way ever when you read scripture. Which commands do I obey? Now I'll say this, not the Old Testament law. I don't have to obey the whole Old Testament law. Uh, I have on your screen or on your notes, Romans 7, 6. If you look at it with me, it says, But now we have been released from the law, since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Now, I put some other references there just in case you wanted to look even further. There's Galatians 2, Galatians 3, Ephesians 2, Acts 15. These types of passages tell us that when Christ came to fulfill the law, the law had a purpose. It was to point out our sinfulness so that when Christ came, we could know that I'm guilty before a holy God. Therefore, I need Christ. I need his holiness. That's the purpose of the Old Testament law. So what do we obey? A new command in the New Testament. Look at Matthew 22 on your notes or on the screen. It says, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So if God, which he does here, could boil down the entire Old Testament law into one thing, it's love God and love people. Love God and love people. There's this heart command that we have now in the New Testament. While we may not have to practice every ceremonial law, there are certainly still some things that are sinful. You see, someone could go too far and say, well, I've been released from the Old Testament law. I don't have to do, like, nothing is off limits. I don't have to, I don't have to obey this, this, this. I can just go do whatever I want. And what he wants us to know is that the Old Testament, what is, should appoint us to besides our guilt, is that we are to act in a way that loves God and act in a way that loves people. Now, he gives us an example. Uh, God does in Romans chapter 13. It's on your notes. He says, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now this, this um, is an interesting transition. Romans 13 is about, uh, largely the first part of it is about um, obedience to authorities, things like that. And he transitions here to something about debt, which some people have confused about just debt. But when he says, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, what he's saying is you have a debt to God to love. And you may say, well, why? Well, because passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20 tells us, that we were bought with a price. Jesus Christ died for us. Well, why did he do that? Because of love. You have a love debt to God. So when he says, don't owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Well, how? How did I do that? Verse 9, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So if we took Romans 13 and kind of combined that in, in our minds with Matthew 22, which we said, love God, love people, how am I to behave in this world? What, what am I to do in this world to, to be obedient to God in this, this new era, we'll call it, this new testament, where I'm supposed to feel like I don't have to obey all the Old Testament laws. And so in some ways that gives me incredible liberty. Right? I don't have to do all these ceremonial laws. And then in other ways, it's harder. Because in Exodus 20, it could say, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, Jesus says, If you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery already. So I may not have all these ceremonial laws, but in some way I have higher expectation. Because it's not just about the letter of the law. It's about what honors God and what shows love to people. And I'll kind of prove it to you in 1 John. On your notes, we'll get to chapter 3 eventually, but on your notes or on the board, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, he, he defines it for us. Now this is his command. As we ask, what, what command? It, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. What commands? What am I supposed to obey? This is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. There's the first part. True faith in Christ. True faith in Christ. Not just, oh, I believe God exists, but I believe I am a sinner before a holy God and that he died for my sins so that I may have fellowship with him for all eternity in heaven. That, that it is only his death, burial, and resurrection that can give me eternal life. I put my trust in that and I surrender my life to him. That's, that's really what it means to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the first part. Look at the second part of chapter 3, 23 and love one another as he commanded us. Now, if we could kind of extrapolate that too and say that, of course, means love God as well. So these are the commands. We have a new heart's law. So when I see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. We can't get away from the fact that we have to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that this is the only way to salvation. This is the only, only thing that can pay for my sins is Jesus Christ. But then after that, I need to live for him, showing that I love God and I love people. That there is this new heart's law that governs me. That means when I mess up, I don't just stay on that road of messing up. In fact, as I said earlier, there may be someone sitting in a chair here who has felt a conviction that you said, I've got this sin in my life and, and I need to get rid of it. I need to get it out of my life, but I'm too proud to get rid of it. I, I, I'm too ashamed that I'd have to go up and admit that something's wrong with me. He tells us if we won't admit something's wrong with us, the truth isn't in us. There's something wrong with all of us. It's called sin. And sin is your enemy. And if you're keeping it in your life because you're too ashamed to ask forgiveness for it, then you're being destroyed because of shame. Either your soul, if you've never known Jesus, or your, your usefulness for God, if you know him confess your sins and he is faithful and just to cleanse your sins and forgive all unrighteousness because he is the one who is our advocate he is the one who is our atonement he will do this for you so this is how you know that you know him first you have faith in christ and second you obey that new heart's law old testament talks about this hebrew talks about this that he'll, he'll put a new law in their their minds and their hearts it's this law of love and that's not just anybody's love, right? The world can get love all sorts of wrong. This is a new love that, that I love God. I actually, I, I want to live in a way that honors him. I love people. Now, sometimes 
as we get love in an incorrect way, one of my favorite verses is First Philippians 1, 9, where it talks about our knowledge increasing in love, right? That you have this hand in hand, that it's knowledge and it's love because you can love the wrong things. You could, uh, any grandmother here can attest to this, you love your, kid, your grandkids and you give them all sorts of candies and things <laughs> that aren't necessarily good for them. You can do that because you can spoil them for a time. But you know that if they were there with you every day, you couldn't do it all the time or you'd spoil them. You could love them the wrong way. You could love them in a way that is damaging. Same thing to you, church. You can love things that are wrong. So it has to be coupled with knowledge and knowledge of God because first comes the first commandment that I love God. The second commandment is then I love people. I love people in a way that is in line with my love of God first because that one takes supremacy. Do you understand what I'm saying? A love of God guides my love of people because then my mercy and my grace for someone may sometimes overrule what is actually good for them. What is actually good for all of us is a true relationship with Jesus Christ. So, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his command. So the second point in your notes is obedience is faith and love. Faith and love. Now, I made that nice and succinct, but you understand how to unpack that. That it's faith in Jesus Christ and it's love of God and love of people in a way that honors God. Faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> love God. Love others. Now, perfect obedience is impossible. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we trying? The Christian life, when we walk, when we try to walk and follow God, the true Christian life is one of continual repentance. Because you're going to mess up. It's not that I just woke up, I gave my life to Christ, and now everything was perfect, everything was easy, everything was right. That's not the Christian life at all. I'd love it to be easier. You're going to wrestle with things. Um, one of the lies of our day is that if you have an impulse, you just have to give in to that impulse, and, and that it's natural and that it's right to do so. This is why we could get sexual identity messed up. This is why, one that Christians don't talk about, things like our health, what we eat, exercise, things like that. We have this mentality nowadays that I can just have an impulse and it's right to fulfill it. And what God would say is no. This is how you know that you know him if you keep his commands. So obedience is faith and love. But look at verse four now. The one who says I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. So he has this statement, the one who says, I had already covered in previous weeks in chapter 1, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10, have an if we say thing, uh, phrase. And then chapter 2, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 9, if you're looking at your word there, it says the one who says. So he's, again, John does these things called triadic statements, where he goes in statements of three, where he's breaking down some, I think, claims of people there. So there are apparently people who are saying, I've come to know God, and yet they don't keep his commands. And what he says, if you do that, you're a liar and the truth is not in him. Now this isn't to say someone just walks into it and they're, they're into faith and, and they step, walk into a sin on accident or, or they struggled and, and they know it's wrong and they're repentant and, and they're wrestling with it and they're trying to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is someone who says, I've come to know God 
and yet I can live this way. It's exactly similar to verse 6 of chapter 1 where he says, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. So he's essentially saying the same statement. Someone who claims, I'm going to live however I want and pretend that my relationship with Christ is good. He says, no, it's not. It's not good. So there are two things that happen when we're disobedient. The first one is our lostness could be confirmed. So Matthew chapter 7 is going to be on the screen or in your notes, verse 16 and on. I'll read 15 and on. He says, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now this, of course, he's talking about false prophets, but the same principle applies. Sin can be a witness against your faith. Sin can be a witness against your faith. If you say that you have fellowship with God and yet you're living and walking in darkness, your life testimony says anything other than you're surrendered to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So there may be someone sitting here this morning, and that's you, that you've just felt like, I can believe God exists, I can believe all that Christian stuff, but I'm going to live how I want. What Scripture would say is you're living under your own authority. You, you, no man can serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. Right now you are serving the master of the flesh. That you're saying, this is how I'm going to live, and it doesn't matter what God says. I'm going to just, maybe I'll keep it a secret. Maybe I won't let Grandma know so that uh, I don't have to have a lecture, and, I, and I'm going to just keep this a secret, but I'm going to pretend that I'm good with God. God's not fooled. The one who says, I've come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. You see, if that's you today, then maybe you've never surrendered to the lordship of Christ. That means he's your master. It means you give him authority over your life. Now, what I'm not teaching is that you're going to be perfect. When you surrender to Christ fully as the Lord of your life, you're still going to have moments of disobedience, but the difference is that you've switched allegiance. You've said, Christ has authority to tell me what to do. Sometimes I mess it up, but he has that authority over my life. I recognize that he has authority over me. So the things that I want to do that are against him, they're not okay. That's different than a rebellious spirit that says, I'm going to do what I want to do, and yeah, I believe in God as well. Do you see the difference in that rebellious spirit? One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but by then it will be too late if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. What I encourage you to do is give your life to him today. Your sin is not worth it. Your sin is not worth eternity. If, if that's held you back, that there's just this one thing in my life that I just don't want to give up. I once had this uh, teenager that I was counseling with, and they were struggling with same-sex attraction. And so I, I talked to them about that, and they said this statement to me. They said, do you think God just doesn't want me to be happy? And man, my heart broke for them, but I just wanted you to know that, and wanted them to know that your sin is not the thing that's going to make you happy. Your sin may cause an instantaneous gratification, but it's not the thing that will satisfy your soul. And we sometimes pick on those sins, but there's a reason that I bring up things like anger. 
or gluttony or pornography. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we as Christians, we say, well, it's not that sin, so I'm okay with this sin. And what God is saying, the one who says, I've come to know him, but doesn't keep his commands as a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, I'm not here trying to cast doubt into a Christian's life to say, hey, you know, you're, you have sin in your life, therefore you have to doubt your salvation. In fact, the book of 1 John is the opposite. What I am saying is you should not be comfortable with sin in your life, whatever it is, any of it, because you have a new Lord. I'm not saying there will never be sin there. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. He knows you're going to, though, because he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What he's saying is, I don't want you to sin. If you do, I have grace for you, but you ought not be okay with sin in your life because sin may confirm our lostness. Sin may confirm your lostness. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ and you have unrepentance in your life and you have not felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, it may be confirming your lostness. And today might be the day that you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ once and for all. But that's for a non-Christian. For a Christian, it could cause us to doubt our salvation. There's passages like Ephesians 4.30. It's on the screen. It says, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Sin causes an internal struggle. If you have the Holy Spirit in you and you have unrepentant sin in your life, there is going to be an internal struggle because you have someone holy in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit fills your heart and your life. He is in you, and when you sin, you grieve him. Or something like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about how sin stunts growth. That the Apostle Paul couldn't uh, help mature a body of believers because there was all sorts of, here, get this sin. It's not one of the sins that we'd, we'd normally say, oh yeah, that sin's terrible. It's grumbling and division. Is that you ever? Do you ever gripe about something to do with the church that didn't go your way? I'm not trying to step on your toes too hard, just a little. <laughs> Is that you? That's in Scripture. That's in Scripture as a thing that ought to be out of our life. I always say this, don't talk about a person, talk to a person. That ought to be the Christian way. Now, Scripture also tells us to turn the other cheek. So if it's just pride, maybe just pray about it. And be okay knowing that you're not God and you're not going to get everything your way in His church. Because it's His church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's His church. You see, we could talk about sins all day, but the reality is, this is how we know that we know Him if we keep His commands, obedience, love of God, love of people. The one who says I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. So if I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and if I don't, if I don't live to show God that I love him, and if I don't treat people with love, this says, the one who says I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep those commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now I'm not, again, I want to preface this because I don't want to cause Christians to doubt. It's not saying that if you stumble, if you mess up, but when you mess up, you ought to run right back to God and you ought to run right back to the individual you offended and apologize. And God, we know, it says in chapter 1, verse 9, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess. But you ought to do that to the person you offend as well. You see, Christians have to be courageous. 
Christians have to be bold. Christians have to be strong. You have to do uncomfortable things to be a disciple of Jesus Christ because if you don't, it is no surprise that we have doubts about our salvation. You see, what I'm saying here today is not, man, you should just feel so guilty, so terrible, all these things. What I'm telling you is there is a path out of feeling guilt. There is a path out of doubt. There is a path away from all these internal struggles that we always have, and it is to love Christ. It is to love others. It is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And if we do those things, he says, this is how we know that we know him. Do you want an eternal assurance? Do you want internal assurance? assurance. So the third point in your notes is disobedience causes doubts. So how does obedience help? This is one of the most beautiful pictures I think in scripture, verse 5. Look at it with me. It says, but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. Hear that with me again. But whoever keeps his word, okay, so that's the obedience side. Whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? it? It's also one of those that's kind of vague. So it's like, well, how can I hang my hat on these things? How can I, how can I know what exactly that means? Okay, I keep his word, and then God's love is complete in me? What does that mean? Well, the, I, I have four different ways. There's probably more. The first one is dying to self. It's, it mimics the cross's action, right? So when you think of completing God's love, when we think of what it means, we think of uh, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him will not perish but have eternal, <clears throat> eternal life. John fifteen thirteen says, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Or I've already referenced 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, that talk about that you were bought with a price and what caused you to be bought with a price? It was love, that God loves you. So dying to self mimics the act of the cross. So if I see this, this is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands, what I could say is, yeah, but that's really hard. That's a really difficult thing. It's, it is hard. Preacher, you don't understand. I've got this sin in my life. I've got this temptation, and I've tried to live for God, I've tried, to, I've tried to do these things and act right, and I just keep going back, like I quoted last week, the Old Testament where it says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. That's what we do again and again. We keep just walking back to it. I just, I want a way out. I, I, I want this to be easy. Can't it become easy? Well, I do think over time it becomes easier, but you are going to struggle against your flesh. There are entire chapters in the Bible written about that. Read Romans 7 today, later on. It talks about this internal struggle that we are going to have because there are two parts of you right now. There is the redeemed person, if you are a Christian, and then there is the flesh that you are living in that is still going to go through all the difficulties of this world. And so dying to self mimics the act of the cross. Do you think Jesus wanted just physically to go on the cross? Of course he didn't. In fact, if you remember the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was so stressed in his prayer that he sweated blood, right? He didn't want to do that. It is a, just a foreign and alien thing today where people think that I can only do the things that I want to do. Any parent knows that's not true. You can make your kids do things that you don't want to do. You are a child of God if you name the name of Jesus Christ. And he wants you to do some things that, yeah, you may not want to do, but it's better. It's better for you. It's better in this world. God's ways are higher. Dying to self 
mimics the actions of the cross. That's the first one. So we're talking about how um, the love of God is made complete in us when we obey. It's the motive of the cross too. A sacrifice due to love. Now here's how we escape what could be a, a very, very close but wrong uh, association with this concept here. The, the very close but very wrong association could just say, well, Christians are just into behavior modification, meaning they just want me to act right. That's all I heard today is the, the preacher saying, quit sinning, quit doing all this stuff. But what this is talked about is a, a law of love that, that's on our heart, that, that we behave a certain way because we love. So sacrifice due to love is adopting the cross's motive. Sacrifice due to love is adopting the cross's motive. Why did Jesus die for you? Because it was pleasant? No, because he loved you. That's why he did it. So why would I die to self? Because I love him. Because it's good, it pleases him. And the first command, the greatest command, is to love him. The third one is the cross's goal, which is holiness. So when this says, whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This action that took Jesus to the cross because of love, the whole purpose of that was to provide holiness for you, for me, for the world, for anyone who would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the purpose of the cross, to make you holy before a holy God so you can re-enter fellowship with him. And then the last one, this one's for us. All those are good theological answers. This last one's for us. When we keep his word, and it says, truly in him the love of God is made complete, I also think there's this transformative process that happens to our hearts. The effects of the cross and obedience, I think, changes the inner man. I think as I obey God, he does something to my heart and my mind that is just different than anything I've ever experienced when I actually live for him. I think so often Christians are just in turmoil because they're trying to be a Christian while trying to be in the world, and there's this struggle. And when I ever just step into living the Christian life, not just saying, don't do that stuff. The scripture will use the word flee, like run away from it. But following after God and his things and, and the things that he wants in my life and his practices, his word, his people, his generosity, his grace. When I start practicing his forgiveness, when I start doing all these things, something changes in me. And it says, this is how we know that we're in him. You want some assurance? Obey the commands of God. Know his son, act in a way that loves him, and love people. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. Romans 5.5, 5, it's a passage that's talking all about persecution, etc. It says, uh, I just included one verse of it though. He says, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. What I think happens when we obey him, when we follow after him, is there's a ministry that takes place in our heart by the Holy Spirit that changes us from the inside out. And suddenly, I don't have as many doubts. Suddenly, I don't have as many concerns when I walk in holiness. So, the fourth point is, obedience is an external and internal sign. It's external that people can see it. You can see. You can see you have fruit. 
but it's an internal sign because you've been changed. So verse 6 is the conclusion. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. In other words, live like Jesus. So to a person here today who is sitting in their seats and they've never trusted Jesus Christ, I hope you heard that that's the one thing you have to do first. All the behavior modification in the world doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You're going to be able to come up. You can talk to me. And I'd be happy to lead you to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, where forever your life will be changed. Don't leave today not knowing if you would spend eternity in heaven with him, because he wants you not only to know him, but to know that you know him. But to a Christian, I'm going to give you six different steps, six different things that I want your heart to respond to today. First, I want you to accept that a pursuit of holiness is part of the Christian life. Accept that a pursuit of holiness is part of the Christian life, meaning it may not be easy. You may struggle. There may be difficulty, but you must pursue it. That is part of a Christian life. Second one is conduct regular personal examinations as you study the Word and pray. Meaning don't accept the phrase, that's just how I am. I'm just that way. Don't do that. What is it about you? I've named lots of sins. I could name more if you need me to, but I think you get it. What is it about us? Is it grumbling and complaining? Go read 1 Corinthians 10 today and see what God did in the Old Testament to grumblers and complainers. He killed a lot of them. I'm just saying, 1 Corinthians 10, read it. I don't know what your sin is. I know what mine is. I don't need to know what your sin is. God knows. Conduct regular personal examinations as you study the Word. And then, number three is repent immediately to any offended parties, including God, when you're wrong. Don't let pride, shame, embarrassment hold you up. It feels like an apology costs us so much, but it's free. I wonder if you knew that. It is free to say sorry to someone. And it may just be the exact thing that needs to happen to apologize. The fourth one is grow close with a few faithful believers to provide a few things. Honesty, someone who will speak to your blind spots, accountability, and encouragement. Grow close to a few believers. You can't know everybody, but you can get to know some. Our Sunday morning Bible study is a perfect way to do that. Fifth one is prepare your heart to receive corrections from believers. This is a hard one. All the things I said so far may have been easier. Prepare your heart to receive corrections from believers. Now that doesn't mean you just listen to every word from everybody. But as you grow close with some believers, some brothers or sisters that are in your life, that you said, these are the ones who I'm going to let hold me accountable. Prepare your heart to receive correction. Have that kind of relationship with someone that you will get that pride out of the way and you'll receive correction. And then the last one is, don't just hope to not sin. Pursue holiness instead. Don't just do the negative, where I hope not to sin. Pursue holiness instead. God has given us a host of things in his word that he wants you to spend your life chasing after. Sometimes trying to get sin out of our life just tries, it feels like we're trying to play keep away. That I'm just trying to dodge these things that are in my life. That's not what God wants. God wants you to not only just turn from them, He wants you to turn to him. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you in prayer, the altar is going to be open. And there may be someone here today who needs to come to know Jesus Christ. I pray that 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 seat gets very uncomfortable and they get up here right away to come talk to me about how to be saved. Then God, there are Christians here. I've given them a, a lot to think of from your word and Um, I pray that this morning someone is praying for peace, 
that right now they're praying for forgiveness and you, you'll cleanse them, you'll forgive them. You, you said that in 1 John. So when they pray for that, God, I pray that they'll receive that peace and they'll turn from their sins and they'll follow after you. And that maybe for the first time they're seeing obedience, not just as something that a God who doesn't like fun wants us to do. That's not it at all. It's you know the turmoil that our hearts go through when we try to serve a different master. God, I pray today there are Christians right now putting away that other master, saying, I will never again be okay with your authority in my life. I may trip and fall, but I will never again be okay with the authority of that sin in my life because I've given Christ authority. And God, when they do that, they can have peace. And when they walk in your ways, they can have peace. Peace that passes all understanding, peace that guards our heart and our mind. God, when they live for you, they can have peace, assurance, hope, joy. I pray that for them. God, you want them to obey you, not just because you're a, a strict rule keeper, though you are holy, but because you know it is good for them. It is good for them on the outside, but also on the inside, the part of us that we hide from others and causes so much turmoil. turmoil. God, I pray for peace to be happening today. And then, God, I pray for my prayer warriors who are in this room this morning. The altar is open. It is open, and God, we talk about revival all the time, and I pray that we stop talking and we come and we pray for a neighbor by name. That we pray for someone that is in our life that we need to introduce to you. I pray that someone will come this morning and say, God, give me an opportunity, and then they'll go out in the world and they'll be faithful when you provide. God, whatever anyone needs to pray for, the altar is open. They can't come kneel here. They can pray in their seat. But I pray that this be a time of prayer where people do business with you and anything that your word and your spirit have for them. And we give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.